Good morning, um, listeners, um, and welcome to another podcast of The Meeting Room. Um, for, for many weeks now, for many of our podcasts, we've had guest speakers, but um, today we felt we just really want to speak about what's on our heart um, on this journey of, of, that we're on. So I'm Hayley, um, and I am a mom and I'm a, a wife, but more than that, I would like to think that I am an advocate for justice. Um, I work in a, for a non-profit organization that mentors young women on the Cape Flats. And um, I think um, my work has fueled um, my drive to for justice. So I think the one feeds into the other. And Karen, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hello everyone. I'm Karen. Um, and Haley and I have embarked on this journey with the meeting room. As if you've been listening to us, you, we've told you the story, I think, in the first and the second episodes. Um, and yeah, so I'm a mom and a wife and a teacher and a follower of Jesus um, and an advocate for justice. Um, I like to think that um, the work that Haley and I are involved in together as friends and the work that we do separately in many other parts of life count for something. Um, I guess, yeah, Haley and I decided we would just do a little chat about where, we've, where we're at, how we're feeling at the moment um, with the work not so much with the meeting room. Um, so we'll come to that in the latter part of the conversation, but in general, because both of us are involved in different spheres um, and, and we, are, we, are both, we are both perhaps because we are, have uh, bulgy personalities or um, strong, bra- opinions. Oh, strong, strong opinions that we, we're not um, afraid to speak up in other spaces. And... Um, because of our deep interest and commitment to seeing uh, the injustices in our city and in our country and hopefully in the world um, shift, um, I think we read a lot um, and listen a lot to conversations broadly um, in what's going on in our city and in our country and indeed in the world. And... um, yeah, so Haley, I let's start with you telling us a little bit about how you're feeling right now when we're looking at mm, everything that's been yeah. happening. Yeah, everything. I mean, I think why it's so hard is mm. that you're actually swimming against the tide. Mm. And the more we do this work and the more conversations we have and the more we read, it just seems that you are swimming against the tide. So at some point it gets very exhausting because wherever you turn, there seems to be um, the desire to hold on to the status quo. And I think a few weeks ago when we had um, the protests and what some would call, you know, the, well, the looting for want of a better word, mm-hmm. when you read the comments on Facebook, mm-hmm. and, I, and it's one reason why I try to stay off because the com- I always read the comments, you kind of get to see what's in people's hearts and so once again, you realize that the othering, and be it right or wrong, I'm not, I'm not giving a verdict on whether that was right or wrong, or 
mm-hmm. um, but from a legal point of view, but the othering of people. And so it was again a reminder of me that our past has dehumanized us, that mm-hmm. we only see people in stats mm-hmm. and we only, um, and the generalization you make mm-hmm. of, of people who are different from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, so, and I had an inkling of this, I think, um, when when you you hear people speak about the areas I work in, um, where they assume that everyone in the area, you know, are gangster the way they speak because the media that's what's being purported. And so, I was quite disheartened because our meeting room is a very precious space, mm-hmm. and you sometimes feel you forget that that's not what how everyone else mm-hmm. feels, and so um, you then hear these very um, hard comments that aren't necessarily factual so i can handle if it's if it's fact but without thought or without information or without um uh, considering all of it you have these these comments that are just spewed out um and knowing that because we live in a city where there are in effect two cities and there are very few bridges that are between those two cities that where we live, the area we live in, many people do not know um, what the masses of Cape Townians, what their lives look like. And yet the comments that then gets put on on um, Facebook or any other social media platform, you know it's incorrect because I've worked in those areas. I've met people and they are wonderful human mm. beings. And I'm so reminded, and Mandy, I'm going to give you Mandy on... Um, one of the ladies that um, beautiful works with works with our girls on the program, she always says, Haley, the one thing I remember is that everyone is trying to do the best with what they have. Yeah. And that really changed my perception when I yeah. when I work with these young women. I mean, you know, you work with the families. And I think for this lovely leafy sub that we live in, many people do not know that. They just see a stat. So mm. It was again the othering, I think, and I realized the dehumanizing of, of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that I, I, by all accounts, I'm not an expert. You know, Karen and I are literally stumbling and learning as we're going along. But really seeing people as people mm-hmm. is very hard in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, because A, we've been um, socialized into a racial society. And then to hear silly comments, I think, mm. um, and I mean, you've been privy to some of it, um, it does irritate mm. you um, and it silences the voices mm. of those whose voices have been silenced for so long. And so there's never a space where the voices of um, the others, for want of a better word, are, are nurtured, are respected, um, and there's never a thought that I could learn from someone, even if they are a different race to me, not as educated as I am. And so it's this this really humbling thing for me that I've had to learn. Um, firstly, I've had to unlearn a lot of stuff and then learning that I, there's always a space for learning. Mm. And I think in South Africa, that's where we've gotten it wrong. Um, because we have in our leafy suburbs people who think they don't, they know, they know it, eh? not being exposed to it other than their domestic worker or their gardener. Um, and so there's no real relationships. We've spoken about this before. It's about who is around your table. And I think 
and I, and I and I include you and I because we're very opinionated and often we do have to sit and listen. And so it's it's a real thing for me to sit and listen. And Mandy told me I must put something in my mouth because <laughs> <laughs> I struggle, you know, especially if I want to say something. Oh. But I think it's it's when you in a when you're in a bubble and and the only people around your table mm. are the ones that agree with you. Mm then actually you don't know everything. No. Um, and when you're really asking a question to learn and not to, re- to have an answer that you're uh, going to re- respond to, or not having a response to it. Mm. So that's been on my heart. And I think it extended, fr- uh, it started from the protest and and um, just there's always this othering. And it's very, div- I think that was the learning, that what the journey we're on is very div- divisive. Mm. And that's the heartbreaking thing because it raises questions for me about why. Why is it such a divisive journey to or conversation to begin saying again that um, we're not the Rainbow Nation and there is a great divide between not just rich and poor, but many of those, most of those poor people are still black people and people of colour, so it mirrors the apartheid map. Um, uh, and I think, you know, why is it, why does it become such a big uh, pro- a problem when one starts to say, well, hang on a minute, um, let's think how we can do this better, and suddenly uh, obstacles are placed in, in, yeah. in the way of that. And um, I think what you said is so true, Haley. The meeting room, because we're all in relationship with one another, we know one another fairly well. We committed to the journey, and uh, the and I think we it's it's almost like a little ideal, mm. because when one steps outside of that um, space into different places, so the one place that I'm fairly actively involved in uh, conversations around transformation is in a school space, and. Um, uh, and to see, uh, you know, the beautiful thing about that is to see many, many parents come on board in that conversation. And we don't all think the same and we don't all agree. And um, and that's completely fine and beautiful. It, but to create a space where we can start having those conversations. But within that, um, to then see other, uh, and, and I'm sorry to say many white people, um, who feel absolutely threatened by this conversation um, and and come out um, really, really not being wanting to be part of the conversation, but wanting to maintain, I, I think, the status quo, keeping things the way that they are. And if we, which we have been doing, we did with Linda Martindale, we're doing with reading our book, um, Another Country by Charlene Swartz, which we've flagged up many, many times, a beautiful, um, deeply challenging read. Um, we, You realise that actually this way that South Africa is constructed cannot continue. Um, there needs to be some shifts and there needs to be the conversations around transformation and um, what that looks like and restitution and what that looks like. Um, holding people accountable and what that looks like, um, which I think we we understand that we don't have the answers to it, but just mm-hmm. because we don't have the answers doesn't mean that we shouldn't be having those conversations. I mean, 
Oh, it's so it's deeply frustrating and disappointing actually to see um and it would seem to me and perhaps I'm wrong but it would seem to me that when white people realize that this is going to cost something that then there is a visceral sit up and take note and we will fight against it um and yeah I so I come this morning quite disheartened um yeah and quite hmm, sad actually to be honest well I think when 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 the state so two things when a status quo when people want to maintain the status quo we have to ask who, who does this benefit okay I mean that's always and and who whoever it benefits is going to protect it um and the second thing i think which south africans don't realize is that in every other country in the world where there's been a change in government there's been a revolution so there was a cost of lives thanks to mandela that was saved but there's still a cost yeah. and what does that look like it's not a cost of our lives but what does that look like yeah. so um we all and i think south africans would like to get to the rainbow nation that yeah, is the 100 idea, but it's going to involve hard work and hard work means that having these conversations where it's going to be uncomfortable and i think often white people because i see the echoes go up when you mention white privilege and all that it's uncomfortable for a person of color to be speaking about it as mm-hmm. well we do not want our race to be an issue in our lives but it is mm-hmm. and so sometimes i get very frustrated mm-hmm. and i say you know because this has to happen mm-hmm. we didn't have a revolution thank you mandela that we didn't have a revolution but we do have to do work mm. and um and, and the funny thing is i think globally because we've noticed that globally there have been um an awareness of gender issues and patriarchy there've been an um, an awareness and more conversation around um racism and so this is going to happen all mm. over the world mm. because um you the, the status quo cannot mm. remain the same mm. if certain people and in South Africa it's the mass um a majority of our our South Africans are living in poverty and shacks and no running water and no inside toilet and and the rest the minority is happy with it mm. so um and we also that's very unique to South Africa because if you look in America at America the black population mm-hmm. are in the the minority so the, the, you know you can understand it, but in South Africa it doesn't make sense doesn't. so that would be my first question yeah who um, does it benefit who does it benefit and so there there is this cost and so it's very frustrating that um and i don't consider myself a genius or something that i'm working at some formula that there has to be a cost it just is logically there's a common sense what is the cost um and that white people haven't arrived at that um and and i think they haven't arrived at that because they're not having these hard conversations because when the conversation starts they put an end to it by either throwing some term that they're not happy with um and i don't have i i can't force you to accept a term yeah but what i can say is often when you stop the conversations or you don't like a term that term makes sense for a person of color yeah. because it's our lived experience yeah. I was going to I was going to ask you to unpack that a bit. So you mentioned white privilege and that's <clears throat> there's so much pushback just around yeah. that one term. 
Um, and we realize that it's part of the bigger conversation around critical race theory, which we are hoping to get some uh, an expert to come and unpack that for us a little more. Um, but it's it's super interesting, Haley, because it's a label that so so as a white person when I first came across this this label, uh, white privilege, um, in particular in relation to a book that I read and some other stuff. Um, I'm not 100% sure why, but it completely made sense to me. I was not offended by it. I found it, uh, it, com- it was completely, yeah, I, I was like, yes, that is exactly how I experienced life as a white person um, living in South and Africa. And you still experience life. And I still experience life like that as a white person living in South Africa. So the interesting thing then was to watch other white people, and it's obviously not everyone, but generally it tends to be most white people, push back on this term. They don't like it. They don't want it. And then, as you said, but for you, that is the lived experience of how you experience us. So, and I don't think it's, so I acknowledge I think we we all have privilege. Living in the suburb we do, we have privilege. So I acknowledge my privilege there yeah. and how do I use that? Privilege is not necessarily a bad thing. No, how do I use that? Exactly. The one privilege I don't have is that my colour of my skin. Yes. So it's little things like getting credit or loans to start a business. Um, um, you know, my husband speaks about not standing when he's in a supermarket, not standing too close to a woman or a bag, a white woman especially. So I think we are not denying that we all have universal problems yeah. like divorce, like loss, um, like grief, like uh, children, you know, struggling with ADD. I mean, we all have, there's a commonality of, of, of issues that all mankind goes through. But white people have a privilege because of the color of their skin. Mm. We're not denying that. Mm. Um, and I think my, the, the one observation I've made is that white people seem to be more worried that they'll be perceived as racist mm. rather than actually question am I actually a, a racist so they may be racist as we all are I mean we've grown up in a very racialized society we do other um, but that's part of my unlearning you know not to see make a general comment and I'm getting better at it or mm. general observation about a group because of the color of their skin but I think we need to ask, why is this term so upsetting? Well, I have some ideas around that. I mean, the thing is, if you are, if you are the majority, if you are the people that always have the voice, you always have the space, you, the way you do life always is the way life is done in your circles. We've spoken about this before. Your space um, it's it's like a fish swimming in water. The space is comfortable for me always. When I go to school, um, as a parent, as a child, when I go to my local shop, when I go to my local restaurants, um, wherever, Haley, when I go to my church, when I go to, I don't know, name a place. It's built for white people, particularly living in the southern suburbs of Cape Town. So if it's not true, yeah. why this? why the big pushback? My other question is mm. that I being I would like to think I'm a lifelong learner mm. and especially where a person has researched um, and this applies to anything, not only the anti-racist conversations, but um, I forget her name, Angel, the, for the white, white, white pr- fragility, white fragility, because um, she, she actually she wasn't, she wasn't the, the, the one who founded that 
um, concept. Robin D'Angelo. Robin, but she's a researcher. Yeah, she's she is. Yeah. So these are not are, are not even. I'm trying to think of the lady who came, uh, whose term it was. You know, she spoke about her backpack. Oh um, yes. So she was the a TED Talk lady. But they're also researchers. So yeah. are you saying that through years of research mm. on our wrong? It's wrong. We we go to doctors because we believe that mm. they have knowledge. We go, you know we go to um, dietitians because we believe they have a certain knowledge. Mm. You don't have to agree with it, yeah. but if if the the data is showing that that is true, then there must be some truth in it. Because so I struggle with this. I struggle that yeah. if it's not true, why the big yeah. pushback? And and linked to that, Haley, it's if to listen to the voices of people who haven't had a voice before. And I find this fascinating, particularly in relation to the conversation around critical race theory, which is getting a lot of pushback more and more in our... So in America, you watch that unfold as white people started to say, no, we don't put this in our schools, we don't want this in our wherever, spaces, blah, blah, blah. Our churches. No, and now it's come here. So we we have been we have experienced conversations like this in in our um, religious uh, spiritual spaces religious spaces we've we're experiencing it in our school spaces um uh, some one of our well-known uh, organizations in south africa wrote a whole um uh, article about it in relation to schools i think in the week that's just gone by and so you can see that there's definitely this um anti uh, critical race theory push which is to keep things the way they are we don't you know we don't want to we don't want to be questioning could racism be possibly structural could racism be more than just the individual person being racist but could it be something that is um uh, embedded in the way society functions and to be honest it makes sense to me i think critical race theory is a great tool it. How would, in South Africa, where you have the majority still living in poverty, and yes, people will argue that uh, the government has a role, and I'm not saying that we must, there's accountability there, there must be structures in place. And even in some of our schools, where it's still very white, there must be structures yeah. in individual racism. So, so we either have lots of racist white people. <laughs> I mean, everyone, if, if you're saying it's an individual, then we have... Every white person must be because you're in the minority. I'm sorry for there, There's no way you can uphold it. Yes. You are in the minority. Yes, exactly. So unless you were the majority, and I'm sorry, um, listeners, this that we are literally talking <laughs> as it comes, and I generally don't have a filter. Um, but but that can't be. It can't exactly. be. It's a system. There yes. must be a structure yes. that is supporting all of this. Yes. Um, and and we can see it in our yes. schools. And if we're going to talk about our schools, where white schools have White principals, um, SGBs, SGBs, yeah. white teachers. Um, so there's definitely a structure in place. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not, a, uh, and I prefer, I'm now telling you I'm not an expert on critical race theory, um, but I, would, I did study law. And I would like to think that I'm connecting the dots. And so, because <laughs> that's what you taught at university, how to connect the dots. And yeah. if you connect the dots... You cannot have individuals upholding um, racism solely. And I mean, the interesting thing for me, Haley, is if you look at the people that are pushing back on critical race theory, by and large, are white people. And 
if I were to say to you, like, what is your experience of structural racism, you would be like, yeah, oh, totally, I get it. So most people of color, most black people, completely their life experience is, is structural racism, which is a big um, idea in critical race theory. It's not the only idea. Um, and, and yet, like we, and so it's back to that listening to the voices. So, mm -hmm. and yet we will say, oh, no, no, it can't possibly be that. It must just be on an individual basis. And therefore, I, as an individual, can escape that label or that notion that I might be racist. Well, you can't, actually. Because if it's only on an individual level, for the status quo to have remained thus far, you must be a racist. So whether you, so so the argument to prove that you're not a racist, mm -hmm. in order to uphold it, you would need a fairly large group of people to mm -hmm. be upholding it. Because mm -hmm. it's in all spaces. It's yeah. in business, it's in schools, you know, it's at university. university. So so you, churches. You have to, there yeah. has to be a system yeah. at play. Um It's fascinating. And and so I think we would love to talk about that more listeners. Yeah. Listeners, we are not we experts urge. and we'll definitely bring an expert. But I think we've given you all the doom and gloom, but there's not all doom and gloom. Yes. Because I think that the more I see what's happening in, in um, on social media and in South Africa, I am very encouraged by what we have in the meeting room mm. because we're having a space where honest conversations mm. are held, where we have um, um, questions that that people that women feel free to ask, mm. um, and where you and I have had to. Because that's what our aim is, to allow these women, they're all on, we're on a journey together, but they're also on an individual journey. And to allow everyone to reach the milestones in their own time, to ask the questions. We're just giving them the space and the resource to think about. Mm. And I think it's that what mm. South Africans have failed to do. It's let's just stop, pause and think. Because we all seem to just be on this train of just saying things like why am I saying that and and I have to question constantly question like do I agree with this or um don't I agree with this and so I don't think there's any there's any of those conversations like why don't I agree with this mm. is it my blind spot and I, I think this space has been a beautiful mm. space we've seen lots of aha moments um and it and it hasn't been I've loved the way the ladies have held each other, mm. um, not physically because we're in COVID, held each other um, in a very nurturing and caring way. So um, given the fact that most of the ladies on our group are white ladies, um, but how we've nurtured each other and that, I, so it's a lovely model that you would love to sort of have a, um, a domino effect on. Yeah. Um, but it is very so that gives me hope that's what gives me hope yeah and is the is the beauty of it i mean if was if you were trying to unpack what works i think it's about relationship because it's very easy i mean to come back to your original comment about comments on you know if you read any comments on on social media they are very disheartening um and i think that's because it's very easy to shout at someone when you've never met them and you've, you don't know what their story is. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's the beautiful thing and, and <clears throat> about the meeting room. So the meeting room gives me also great hope. I uh, absolutely love these ladies. I think they are wonderful, brave, um, 
and and really courageous mm. to have come into a space where it's pretty uncomfortable at times. Mm. Um, and to see their hearts. Yeah. And that's what I want to say to, you know, it's been my, whenever I come across um, a white person who has a slightly different um, uh, view to what in my head I think, okay, this is what you're going to say next. Um, mm-hmm. But you have these honest conversations yeah. with white people, and more so that's why I can't believe that we have... Um, Eight percent of our population, you know, who are racist, racist. Because I've seen these beautiful, gentle souls um, who are keen to do the work, who've seen uh, seen um, the other, and wanting to make connection um, in the meeting room space, in other spaces. Definitely. And and so, I know what I'm saying must be harsh to hear. Um, and I, but I, we haven't, as individuals, we haven't escaped racism, no. any of us, to be, to, no. because we're still other, and it's something I'm hoping to unlearn. Yeah. But when you have power, economic power, mm-hmm. you have a voice in South Africa, it seems, and it's, and it's that that does you don't ever question that voice. And uh, and I think with a meeting room, mm-hmm. we are women in a, probably in a similar mm-hmm. similar age, um, similar um, community, and yet we're having these honest conversations mm-hmm. and we've asked them hard questions. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, I like, you said earlier, sorry, I'm doing a lot of talking today. You said earlier that we don't have the solutions. But I would like to put forth that I think if we worked as a collective yeah. in South Africa, if there were more of the meeting rooms yeah. where you had different voices from different socioeconomics yeah. and different yeah. races, there would be a solution. Yeah. So is our is our so I think the interesting thing is the thing that made me so disappointed this week was the starting point. In order to have these conversations, we need to ask ourselves what is the starting point? And it would seem that there's a lot of people who don't want to agree. On that we have a problem here. Mm. They want to say the Rainbow Nation exists, we mustn't be having these conversations, we must just be pressing on, um, sort of, um, you know, non-racism, that kind of idea. And and while that sounds lovely, it just means that the, the reality of what people are experiencing in all these different places is is completely ignored. Mm. And and so so you never um you never Get to the wound. You've just put a band-aid on top. So if we say in the starting point we all recognize there's a problem, mm. we might want to come to that problem and dissect it differently. So that's the conversation about whether critical race there is a tool or not. But come with some tool so that we can di- dissect this problem and then move on to something where, Haley, I mean, I w- I'm quite excited about that something could grow where we could collectively be doing um you know, really good restitution in our country. But um, just I from think the it needs group. showing up. Yeah. And uh, while we keep the conversation academic, mm. which it is, whether this is a tool or not, and we are never going to get that there are people mm. who's currently living in awful conditions, mm. and we're happy to keep the conversation academic. Mm. So, as a human being, what does what does that say about me? Yeah. Like that I'm willing to ha- keep the conversation academic and thereby shut it down where there are people yeah. whose lives um, are, are literally in survival. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's such a hard, and I don't have, I mean, there are we in and of myself, I don't have the solution. Yeah. I believe that um, 
the ideal rainbow nation would be as a collective working yeah. towards this. Yeah. So if we're really wanting the, the rainbow nation, mm. then we're going to start having to having these hard mm. conversations with people we don't agree with Oof. and who are different from us. And, um, who, and, and, though, and who don't, we don't necessarily have relationships with. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that I've experienced in the school space where we've started to do some more of this work, parent to parent, is, um, which is an interesting observation I thought about one day, that the parents are all various ages, but probably m- most of us are parents of the... Ch- so we are the children of apartheid. We were... So born in the, the late 60s, mm. 70s, around there. Um, and so we grew up at that in that part of apartheid. And we are people of different colors. We are people of diff- coming from different places. We didn't all grow up in Cape Town. And um, to, to actually say that and name it, mm. it was quite powerful. Um, and to realize that we, just this little group of parents, are turning back something that was intended. Apartheid meant for us, those children, never to be together. Unless you went to a private school, you were never going to meet one another, you were never going to be friends, you were never going to learn from one another. And to come together and, you know, just have a meal together and just talk about where we grew up and um, how life is, to share with one another various podcasts or readings or heartfelt experiences that is actually an amazing beautiful amazingly beautiful thing um despite the difficulties within that because it's not that sounds like it's like um, you know what's the saying rainbows and unicorns <laughs> it's like la la land well in part it was a bit la la land and it's not all or it's not all that plain sailing but that little part of it is deeply precious to me mm. um that we can be in our late 40s mid 40s early 50s where you would think that that could never happen and yet it can happen and what a what a beautiful testimony to our children who are also having I mean we are naive to think that our schools just by virtue of the fact that children of different colors are together that they're actually together we are naive to think that, yeah. Haley. They are struggling. And the older they get, so in the primary school stuff, I was watching a thing about how in primary school children just play together. But when they get to high school, things become much more real. Mm-hmm. And it's a, there is struggle and there is pain. And we need to acknowledge that. Well, I think in the psychological space, I would argue that um, in the case if you look at whether it's alcohol or drugs, you actually have to acknowledge this as a problem before you can go on the journey of re- of, of recovering. Mm. It's like that with racism. Mm. We, we're getting stuck on terms. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you as a person of color that that's my experience. Yeah. So my question again, are, are you not, is my, is my experience not valid then? I would ask. So take critical race theory aside, but... We're getting stuck on t- on tools yeah. that is used to help understand this. Yeah. But set aside the tools, the real conversations um, are needing to be had. And I would say if you, if as a white person you haven't had real conversations, even though you have people of color in your um, circle, you need to ask how authentic those relations are actually. Mm. Because a person of color is not going to make themselves vulnerable unless they feel that it's a space of trust, which mm. we have in the meeting room. Mm. Um, where I can feel as a person of color, I'm going to make myself vulnerable. Mm. I mean, the other thing is, I think sure. often there's been a question of um, 
feeling, oh, you know, people of color, they must get over the victim mentality. I would like to think I'm not a victim because I am I'm not asking you to validate myself as my identity. I, I, what I am asking you is to listen to my lived experience, how the past has impacted, and we need to learn from history. We are repeating history. That's why we're having fees must fall and the numerous protests we're having. And it's going to continue like that mm -hmm. until we have the hard conversation and actually have the hard conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and then look at the problem, acknowledge that there's a problem, mm -hmm. and then collectively work at a solution. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't matter which party is going to be in power in South Africa. There is mm -hmm. going, there's going, we as, as South African citizens... Mm -hmm. If the question is, we're wanting to leave South Africa in a better space than we found it for our children, yes. then we need to do something about it. Yeah. If not, well, then yeah. we don't need to have this conversation. Yeah, and, and just to lastly pick up on that point of on, on victimhood, because it gets thrown around a lot, <clears throat> um, vic victim mentality. I mean, all of us are victims of something. If you're a woman in South Africa, it doesn't matter who you are, you've had, you're a victim of some kind of gender-based violence, harassment, uh, there's... That goes without saying. I mean, I'm not saying everyone's been raped, but there's some kind mm. of experience you've had. So we're all a victim of, of some kind of horribleness. And I'm not saying that, you know, the thing is, it's that intersectionality. So as a person of color, you're always going to, that's always added on to that as something that I don't experience. But um, well, the reason I raise that is that we, we don't walk around... Uh, that's not our identity. That's not, we don't walk yeah. around and woe is me. We, we get on with life. We, we navigate life with our wounds, with, our, um, with the broken parts of us. We, some of us, yes, need to go to therapy or whatever for that. But, but seriously, I mean, to, to say that people are living in perpetual victimhood because they happen to name that they experience racism, that is actually offensive. I'm sorry. Yeah, that so, is actually that, deeply offensive. And and it would be interesting. I mean, I would love to have a conversation um, with a white person who doesn't agree with me because I would like to hear. I, I want to hear what is the issue about actually having conversations yeah. about race in South yeah. Africa. What is the actual issue? There is no such thing as non-racism. Yeah, non-racism means that we're not seeing the differences that we have all been created with, mm -hmm. and the lived experiences accordingly. Um, we are trying to make. There's no generic lived experience. No. There are commonalities, but there's yeah. no generic yeah. lived experience. And so I, I, I'm really struggling to see what is the issue <laughs> with a term. It is yeah, it's very weird. You know, I can't acknowledge if someone says I'm privileged, I am. Yeah. I know I am. Yeah. The fact that I live in this area, the fact that I'm educated, I know that. The question is, I'm not getting stuck on the fact that I'm privileged. No. It's like, how do I use this yeah. to make a better society? Um, and so it's the acknowledgement. Yeah. Um, and, and, and so it's really baffling sitting, watching what goes on, yeah. listening to what the, you know, the conversations on WhatsApp groups and that. And just like mm. we've actually, I've actually developed quite a thick skin actually, because I, I'm not mm. perturbed by some, in fact, I expect some things, which is a sad thing. I expect yeah, some sad. things to be said. Yeah. Um, but I think coming back to the meeting room. Yeah is that my expectations aren't there. I almost expect like something wonderful to happen yeah. every time we're together because yeah. if something great, something meaningful has happened yeah. every time we're together, there's something someone yeah. says and I think, oh, it's so, like they've, you know, how have they reached that? Those ladies have come with a posture of, of, you always say a posture of humility, Haley. Mm. What is your posture when you come to these conversations? Are you, and they come wanting to learn 
and wanting to share. Mm. Um, so it's not wanting to argue. Yeah. So I think that's that. So and that for me is um, rooted in fear. I think I wonder how much for us we are we we land up you know being prickly uh, porcupines to the world mm. because we are afraid. And 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 that actually is something I think if we were really really vulnerable and honest about and named those fears. I have fears. It, it, despite the fact that we do this work and I'm 100% committed to it, I know it is the right thing to do. I I have fears. I have four white sons and one of my fears is like what is the space for them in, in South Africa? Is there a space for them if we go down this road and um and that is a fear. However, that doesn't mean I'm not going to do the work because well, for various reasons, it will all be okay. And if it's not, we'll make a plan. It's like, you know, so just because I, I do this work doesn't mean I don't have fears. And I think if we acknowledge mm. what our fears are, um, not in an ugly way, to be ugly to people or to belittle people or, as you say, to other them or to – but to actually say, look, I, I really struggle with this. I'm really – what is my role? Where is my space? Will I – does it mean I must always be quiet? What does it mean for me as a white person in South Africa? Those are legitimate fears. And I think they're part of the conversation. And we're not saying people must not say have, the, have those feelings, first of all, and not speak them. But I wonder how much, because we don't, mm. that becomes, so it kind of gets pushed underground and then all this other stuff comes out, which is, non-racist and colorblind and let's not have the conversation and let's just press on and equal equality for everyone and you know all these other labels which is very interesting the people who don't want labels have other labels um yeah and and uh and and that that is quite sad really but yet in the meeting room yeah we majority white women their voice has been heard yeah all our voices have yeah. been heard so it is possible but i, I think it's again are we coming to the table mm. wanting to learn something? Or are we coming to the table not to have our ideas challenged? And it's something, I mean, you and I both have very strong opinions <laughs> about lots of stuff. We often yeah. have to question, like, you know, are we, you know, is that, a, you know, does that line up? Or, or maybe we've been wrong there. Yeah. And the fact that these beautiful women have allowed us to fumble, because yeah. this is yeah, new yeah, for us, we're not experts, um, and how we've journeyed together and yeah. how things have gelled, but as a collective. Yeah. And I think that's what South Africans realize. We cannot do this in our silos. No. We cannot do it in our race silos. We cannot do it in our socioeconomic silos. It needs gender to silos. be gender silos. Mm. It, ne it needs to be where we're having collectives of mm. all voices. Mm. 100. Um, and that's the iron sharpening iron. Yeah. Because interestingly, you know, um, you said something there. Uh, I can't remember actually. Now triggered something. Um, where if we so so if we disagree. Oh, oh you said um, that we sometimes you know get stuck in our own heads or whatever. But what do we do then, Haley? We check with someone else. We go and find someone else who um, who is more educated in, for example, critical race theory or in whatever it is. We'll go and find that person and say, please, can you help us with our thinking? So I think. That's the that's the thing, you know, to say, well, we're not always, we don't always have this right. We sometimes get, get it wrong. Perhaps we're not thinking right in this. Mm -hmm. Go and ask someone else who has a different perspective. What do you think about this? Um, and, and you may land up still not agreeing. And that's fine. And that's okay. And that's fine. Yeah. I think the fact that we, you know, we are individuals. We don't need to all think the same. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So I, I think I'm happy with that. But let's just have this conversation. Yeah, let's begin. And I don't want to, and the reason why I don't engage on Facebook or any of these stupid conversations that happen on social media is because I actually don't want to argue with someone I, I'm not, who's not in front of me. I don't know who you are. I don't know what your life experience has been. So I cannot talk into that. Um, and I would hope that you can't talk into my life or make assumptions about me because you don't know me. And I think the meeting room. Yeah. It's the getting to know of each other. Yeah. So we're seeing each other as individuals, but we're seeing each other as a collective. Yeah. Um, and it's yeah. been beautiful how we've seen commonalities. Yeah. And, the, you know, we most, almost all of us are moms. So there's a commonality. Um, you know, we Christ followers, there's a commonality. And I just, I, I think if we have more spaces, we might find we actually have more in common than yeah. we don't. Um, yeah. Despite our different life experiences. Yeah. Um, but I think we want to go straight there. We want to go straight to the commonalities and forget that there's something yeah. that we need to discuss. Yeah. That is 100% spot on, Haley. Mm-hmm. Particularly, I think, in our religious spaces. I've experienced that 100% in, um, you know, Christian spaces where where we have unity, where, where, where we have all those yeah. common things. And so that kind of is put over the 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 parts that are actually still there raw and rubbing and messy and broken and so we don't ever talk about that stuff or once in a blue moon we might but then we just put it back in the box and yeah throw the key away but actually and so we're living in this thing but there's all this other stuff that's really rumbling under there and it doesn't go away um because we've never once again taken off that band-aid and really gone and let that healing happen. And we're working in individual spaces. So some yeah. of the WhatsApp groups I'm on, there's some wonderful people doing wonderful jobs. Whenever there's a, you know, there's a protest or there's a, a yeah. fire or there's a storm, yeah. flood, you know, there are people stepping up. But imagine we were all oh. working together. I always just think like, yeah. imagine we were all on this trajectory yeah. to making South Africa better for our children. Yeah. How, what yeah. it would look like. And that speaks to um, a, a biblical picture, which I always love, which is that the body. Yeah. And so if we saw ourselves as South African citizens, which I think yeah. is part of the problem, yeah. actually. We still see each other in race, see ourselves. As, I don't know how we yeah. see ourselves, but if we, do, we don't see ourselves as something that's active. So uh, we, this weekend, a week past, someone said something about all the people leaving South Africa, and that kind of grates a bit with me. It's not that I don't think people should be able to leave. Um, you're free to do whatever you want to do. But, I mean, I think a lot of white folk have the privilege, once again, of leaving. And, um, you know, so you got fat off the land in a way. You were privileged off the land of your position. And then oh, it's it's horrible. It's uncomfortable. It's not lacquer. So now we once again can flee. And that is extremely harsh, what I've just said. And it's not the ins and outs of everything. I realize I've missed all the nuances. So please forgive me for that. But my gut response is a little bit of that. Um, and... And yet, if we saw ourselves as citizens that really had a role to play, no matter what your, who you were, like you've got a gift and you've got a talent, you've got privilege perhaps, you've got something to give to this collective, which is our country. And South Africans have proven that yes, they can pull together. we can. So let's not make it the exception every time there's a, a, a flood or whatever happening in South yeah. Africa, as happens in other countries. Let's but live let's, like that. Let's actually... Do this consistently. Bring our talents and our privilege and our abilities and bring it to the table and say, okay, how can I make South Africa better? 
Yeah. Um, and I, I think that, that that is the picture I see of the rainbow. That would be oh. the ideal rainbow nation. Everyone using their talents and abilities to make this country better. Mm. Um, 100. So, yeah. You think of uh, Habitat for Humanity yeah. as a little picture of that, that everyone, including the person who will receive the yeah. house, um, is part of the building of yeah. that. It's not, it's, and so it's an everyone yeah. picture. And we all, and it's, I think, realizing our agency. Yeah. Um, instead of leaving it up to the government. Oh. I mean, no country has a perfect government. No. Uh, so, so um, listeners, this has been um, a crazy um, 40, 50 minutes. Um, we just kind of wanted to touch uh, base and let you know how we're feeling um, and some of our learnings in the past um, weeks. We will be having, obviously, more podcasts in future. Um, where we will be having guest speakers, but this is just to let you know that um, this is hard, it's ongoing, um, but we do need each other. And yeah, and also to invite you to get hold of us. Mm-hmm. Um, we have an Instagram page called The Meeting Room Cape Town, I think. Yeah, I think it is. I'll put it in the, um, the bio. I'll put the link in the bio. Um, get hold of us, message us privately, leave a comment, um, you know, tell us uh, what you think, what you'd like to hear us talk about. Um, if you disagree with us, uh, let us know. Um, if you'd like to know, if you'd like to join the meeting room, you, whatever, if you'd like to start your own, please let us know. We would love to have conversations with more people um, about this journey. And we would just really encourage you to be brave. That's all from us. Until next time. Thank you.